You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. The line between hero and fool can be pretty thin. Andrew McCauley, in 2008, was compelled to cross the Tasman Sea in a kayak all by himself, and his journey is documented in the film uh, by National Geographic called Solo, Lost at Sea, not to give away the ending right in the title. (laughs) He began his journey on January 11th, 2008, and his journey ended on February 10th with the recovery of his partly flooded, empty kayak, 30 nautical miles short of his destination, and his body has never been recovered. The scene that strikes me from this documentary is as Andrew paddles away, his wife kisses him goodbye on the shore, and his toddler preschool son calls out his name, Daddy, Daddy, as he paddles off into the ocean. Is he a hero? A brave pioneer who rightly followed his inner compulsion, or is he a fool? A glory seeker who left his child without a father in the pursuit of fame. The line between hero and fool can be pretty thin. Maybe you faced a big risk, a big risk financially or personally or socially, maybe even physically, pushing yourself to see what you can accomplish, to find your limits, to achieve success. And this risk has, the co- has potential real cost to it. Maybe not the loss of your life, but the loss of a lot, your savings, your security, your relationships, your family, your reputation. Are you going to take the risk? Will you be a hero or will you be a fool? And we often judge whether a person is a hero or a fool based on the outcome of the risk that they take. If the risk pays off, they're a hero. It would be easier to see Andrew McCauley as a hero if he made it across the Tasman Sea. But if you gamble and lose, it's often easier to see that person as a fool. There's an added complexity for people who follow Jesus because success isn't ultimately determined in this lifetime or by the judgment of our fellow human beings. We have to consider the risk in light of eternity and the priority and perspective of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is this risk worth it in light of eternity and from the perspective of Jesus. In 1955, five men from the United States, compelled by the Spirit, sought to bring the gospel to a previously uncontacted people group, the Hurani. After initial encouraging contact, the Hurani become convinced that these outsiders mean them harm, perhaps even are practitioners of evil magic, and they kill all five men. And the general consensus of the community around the world at the time were that these men were martyrs, they were heroes. The response to a similar story 60 years later was quite different. In 2018, a young man, compelled by the Spirit, sought to bring the gospel to a previously uncontacted people group, this time the Sentinelese. He is met in his initial contacts with a mixture of amusement, bewilderment, and hostility. He never returned from his fourth attempt. Local fishermen reported seeing his body, but police were unable to recover it. The young man was called a hero, a martyr, by his mission organization, but the general consensus of the rest of the world was that he was a fool. 
and they condemned him and ridiculed him. Even his father, who blamed the mission organization for stoking religious fervor in his son. The line between hero and fool can be pretty thin. I see some similarities between Paul's story and the story of the five men in Ecuador and the young man off the coast of India. For example, in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, Paul says this, Now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others about the wonderful grace of Jesus. All of these groups were convinced that they were compelled by the Spirit. All of them were aware of and willing to face the risks of their mission. And while Paul frames his journey's destination as Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, other times he makes it clear that Jerusalem was just a stopover on his way to Rome, which was to become his forward operating base for taking the gospel into Spain, people previously unreached with the gospel. Is he a hero or is he a fool? Not only do we need to consider this question in the light of eternity, we also need to consider the question in the light of obedience. Because for Jesus' followers, this is the ultimate question. Am I being faithful to Jesus and his call on my life? Am I obeying the Spirit's leading? And in all three examples, the people involved were convinced that the Spirit was leading them to those destinations. The complicating factor in Paul's case is that there are others who are equally convinced that the Spirit is telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. In the context, he's just finishing up his third pastoral trip, his third missionary journey, and he's traveling to Jerusalem, and he stops over in Tyre, which is on the coast north of Israel. And we read in verse 4 of Acts 21, the passage that we just read, we went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. And these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. So who's right? When it comes to hearing God, this is one of the big questions that we often ask. How can I be sure that what I'm hearing, what I'm perceiving is God's voice and not my own thoughts and my own priorities, the voice of the culture or the voice even of the enemy? And here we have a biblical example of this being played out. Two parties who hear the Spirit give apparently op opposing directions. And because Paul is the hero of Luke's story, the focus of Luke's history, it's tempting to give Paul the benefit of the doubt. After all, he's Paul, right? He's clearly heard the Spirit. And the church entire must clearly be mistaken, but that's not what it says in the text. And further, Paul has a history of wanting to engage in situations that it would be unwise for him to engage in. In Acts chapter 19, when he's in Ephesus, a riot breaks out and two of Paul's ministry team are dragged into the amphitheater where the focus point of the riot. And Paul wants to go into the amphitheater after his two ministry companions, but the other believers will not let him go in and the provincial officials send a message to Paul begging him not 
to risk his life by going into the amphitheater. It seems like his natural bent is to engage danger. And Paul further had acted on compulsions that the Spirit had corrected previously. He thought he was following the Spirit's will, and then the Spirit had to correct his course. In Acts chapter 16, for example, verse 6, next Paul and Silas traveled through the areas of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time, following the Spirit. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Now, if you know anything about Paul, he never went or did anything. That might be a slight overstatement. But in terms of his ministry, where he wasn't convinced the Lord was leading him. And here the spirit corrected his compulsion. So in this case, who is hearing the spirit correctly? When it comes to hearing God's voice, aptitude is secondary attitude. Now I'm making an assumption here and I want to just state it clearly to get it uh, out in front of you. I'm making the assumption that the Spirit of God still speaks to the people of God today. Just as the Spirit was poured out on men and women, young and old, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out on men and women, young and old, today and the Spirit still leads and guides and speaks to his people and through his people today. When it comes to hearing God's voice, aptitude, that means ability, skill, is secondary to attitude. Now, there are some aptitudes or abilities to develop. The the first aptitude would be the ability of following the three guides or the three lights, as they're sometimes known in the literature. Those three guides are circumstances, are the circumstances of my life pointing in a particular direction, which requires discernment, right? Because you now have to discern, is the barrier in front of me put up by the enemy? Is the barrier in front of me put up by people? Or is it put up by Jesus to direct me in a new way? In this passage that we read, the people entire by the Holy Spirit, prophesy that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And there are circumstances that he is aware of because it's prophesied to him by Agabus, who says, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be bound and handed over to the Gentiles. Circumstances is the first guide we need to look at. The second is impressions from the Spirit. Now this, I have to admit, seems a little unhelpful. How do I know the Spirit is speaking to me? Well, what is the Spirit saying? doesn't really seem like it's super helpful, but part of it is that you have this deep conviction, this impression that's embedded on your soul. It's not just an idea, but it seems like a conviction. The problem is in this passage, in this circumstance, that Paul has a deep impression from the Spirit saying, go, keep going, go to Jerusalem. And the Tyrrhenian believers have a deep impression from the Spirit saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. The third guide or light is the Bible. We, are, we will often say when we are trying to discern God's voice that God's voice will never contradict what he says in the Bible. This is useful. This is a useful guideline, but it probably needs some perspective because it's possible that we can reach an impasse on a decision by lobbing individual Bible verses at one another and saying, God wouldn't contradict this Bible verse. Well, I found another Bible verse that might contradict what you're saying. 
Paul could probably find support in scripture for his decision to go to Jerusalem and the Tyrian Tyrian believers, the Tyrian church could probably find verses that would support their compulsion to tell Paul not to go. And I think we need to, to uh, modify the statement a little bit to say that God's voice will never contradict the foundational principles of Scripture. Let me give you an example. Earlier in the book in, uh, of Acts, the church had to decide whether believers who were Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be truly part of God's family. And the scripture that the church in Acts had was the Old Testament. And it clearly taught that in order to be part of God's family, you had to be circumcised. But the church looked at the circumstances, the spirit being poured out on Gentile believers who were not yet circumcised, upon their repentance and belief in Jesus. And they looked at the principles of scripture, this narrative that's woven through the Old Testament that God's agenda is for all nations and he wants all nations to be part of his family. And they came to the conclusion that circumcision was not an entry requirement into God's family for Gentiles who came to faith. There was scripture that clearly stated it was, but the foundational principle of scripture was that God was inviting all nations into his multi-ethnic faith-based family. Practicing the ability or the aptitude to read or follow these guides and these lights is helpful, but you need to remember that they are not God's voice. They are the context within which we discern God's voice. And they're often most helpful in retrospect as we look back to affirm the decisions that we made. There's a warning from Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God. He says this, For those who do not yet have a confident working familiarity with this voice, trying to discern the three lights may speedily result in a swirl of confusion, leaving them hopelessly adrift or wrecked on the shoals of spiritual misadventures. Such people will almost certainly try to use them as a spiritual gimmick or quick fix, and they will then fall prey to the desire to get their own way and to secure their own prosperity and security. When it comes to hearing God's voice, aptitude is secondary to attitude. There there are aptitudes to develop. Another one is to engage the community. Because the community of faith can confirm what you heard was God's voice. They can ask God to affirm the source of the word or the impression that you have. Again, it's a tool though, right? Because in our passage, Paul hears the Spirit telling him to go to Jerusalem, and the community of faith hears the Spirit telling them to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. The second way the community can help you is, especially when you're just learning to discern God's voice, they can teach you to recognize it. If you're having trouble hearing the voice of God or you're new to it, ask someone in your circle who seems to be really good at it to help you discern God's voice. Dallas Willard has another warning again, and I'm sorry I didn't get it uh, into the slides, but listen to this. It seems that at first we must be told that God is speaking to us and possibly even helped to detect his voice. Think of 
Samuel, many of you are familiar with the story of this boy who's living in the tabernacle with Eli the priest, and he hears a voice calling his name, and he assumes, because he's never heard the voice of the Lord before, that this is Eli calling him, and he runs to Eli, asking him what he wants in the middle of the night. And by the third time, second time, I think, and then uh, he, hear, he recognizes it. Eli recognizes that this is God calling Samuel, and he points it out in Samuel's life. This is the Lord talking to you. And so when you hear his voice again, this is how you should respond. We may need some Elis in our life to point out this is God's voice speaking to you. And I'm sure that you can already see by this how attitude is so important. Because without the attitude of humility, you aren't going to ask someone else to help you. You're just going to assume that you can figure it out by yourself. And without the attitude of patience, you aren't going to be able to gain the experience necessary to confidently discern and recognize God's voice. The first time you make a mistake, you'll probably give up. And so when it comes to hearing God's voice, aptitude, ability, is secondary to attitude. There is another aptitude we need to develop, and that's responsible judgment. In the 1975 movie, The Stepford Wives, Joanna, her husband Walter, and their two daughters move to the town of Stepford. And the women in the town look flawless and are obsessed with housework, but they lack any intellectual interests or pursuit. The men all belong to this exclusive club called, super creatively, the Men's Association. (laughs) Joanna discovers that all of the women of Stepford were once strong, assertive, and independent women, and in an effort to make life easier for themselves and to gain control over their wives, the men have had them all replaced with robots. Some of you, sometimes I, believe that this is what God wants from me, to just control you, to just mindlessly obey his commands like a robot responds to inputs. In this past week in my devotional time, the Spirit convicted me that I am more comfortable with God as Lord, as boss, as king, than God as father. And he reminded me that God hasn't employed me He hasn't hired me, he's adopted me. God is actually inviting us into relationship with him, into partnership with him. He invites us to develop responsible judgment as part of discerning his voice. We see that clearly in the passage. Paul has to carefully consider at this point if God is truly telling him to go to Jerusalem in the face of opposing direction discerned by the community of faith and the predicted circumstance that are far from ideal. If you go, you will be bound hand and foot and handed over to the Gentiles. So part of developing the aptitude or the skill of responsible judgment is judging, evaluating the quality of what we hear. Does it have authority? Does it have that weight? Is it just an idea or does it have an impression on our soul? Judging the, the spirit of what we hear. Does this sound like Jesus? Does the tone or the spirit of the voice reflect the character of God? And then the content of what we perceive. 
We've already talked about how it must align with the foundational principles of Scripture. Does it affirm that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God? Because God is inviting us into relationship and partnership with him, discerning his voice will be, and I would say should be, always subjective. Because it's based on personal perspective. It's based on a personal relationship. It's based on a God who is personal and relational. Romans 8.16 affirms this. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. There's a partnership in the communication between his spirit and our spirit so that we know even who we are. And who we are is God's children. This is so important. I worry that we tend to, to think of hearing God's voice or sensing the Spirit's prompting primarily in terms of direction and commands, like, a, like God or the Spirit is a supernatural GPS that tells us when to turn and what exit to take, and we, our job is just to obey. I even see it in our definition of a disciple. A disciple, which is then reaffirmed within our mission statement, is someone who hears, obeys, and teaches others to do the same. God doesn't want to employ you. He wants to adopt you. You are his child. You're not his employee. And yes, sometimes as a father, he directs us and corrects us and commands us. But like a good father, sometimes, and hopefully like a good father, more often than direction, correction, and command, he wants to encourage us and build relationship with us and express delight and his love for us. I'm convinced that the, the thing that he wants you to know most is that you are his child, that he loves you and he takes delight in you and that his communication is an attempt to demonstrate that delight that he has in you. So, so those are some aptitudes, those are some skills that will help you discern God's voice, follow the guides or the lights, engage community, judge responsibly. But when it comes to hearing God's voice, aptitude is secondary to attitude. And the attitude that we need to develop is the attitude of humility. See, humility is to be open to hearing God's voice. Humility is to be teachable open to learning to hear God's voice, open to having others help you identify God's voice in your life, open to having others speak God's voice into your life. Humility is to be open. Humility is also to receive, willing to receive and respond to what God says to you and about you, willing to receive and respond to what God communicates through others. Humility is also to submit because sometimes God does direct, correct, and command. And the humble response is to yield, to submit to his direction and submit to his correction. It's also to submit ourselves, yourselves, to those around you. We already talked about being willing to hear what God might say through someone else. But when you sense God has something to, he, wants to, he wants to say through you to someone else, you submit it to them. You submit to their responsible judgment. 
See, one of the dangers of hearing God's voice for someone else is to come in to them, come alongside of them and says, the Lord says. I've been a youth pastor long enough to see this used by more than a few boys in getting a girl to date them. I mean, what's a girl supposed to say, right? I've also been on the opposite end where the Lord told her that she needed to break up with me in order to focus more on him. That's really hard to argue with. And that's the point. We need to mutually submit to one another. Here's what I sense the Lord is saying to me for you. I submit it to you. I submit it to your responsible judgment. And our response is to submit by carefully considering what the other person has said to me. In this case, in Paul's case, the church would say to him, Paul, we submit to you that the Spirit does not want you to go to Jerusalem. And Paul would respond, I will submit to you by taking that into consideration, but I'm convinced I need to go. And in the end, Paul has to use his responsible judgment to discern the Spirit's voice. And we see the submission in the passage. They tell him not to go. Paul decides to continue on. And then chapter 21, verse 5, when we return to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt and prayed and said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. They submit to Paul and his conviction. Was he right? We don't know. We just know that Paul was driven by a commitment to Jesus. He made his decision in a posture of humility and submission. I will follow Jesus even if it means I get arrested and imprisoned. And he, and he made this decision in a posture of confident submission, confident in the Spirit's ability to correct him and accomplish God's purpose for Paul's life, even if Paul was mistaken in the direction that he took. Right? He'd done it before. I'm headed this way, and the Spirit prevented me from going there. And Jesus confirmed that the ultimate destination was still on the table in chapter 23, verse 11. And I have to wonder if Paul was beginning to wonder if he should have listened to the church entire because it had gone about as well as they had predicted. He was bound and arrested and handed over to the Gentiles. And then 23, verse 11, that night, as he's in a rescued by force, I like that, in verse chapter 10, and taken back to the fortress, the prison. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Whether Paul was right or wrong in going to Jerusalem, God's ability was not restricted in getting him to where he needed to be, which was Rome. I will get you there, Paul. You've heard an example this morning of Cheryl following the Spirit's leading. Dan and Barb Keys are also involved in Camp Nukawai, and they followed the leading of the Spirit when they moved to Lethbridge in 1989, leaving successful church plants in Alaska and the Yukon to plant a church among the Blackfoot people in southern Alberta. Over the course of 20 years, 
Dan and Barb slowly established trust, relationships, and a ministry among the Blackfoot people. They established Camp Gladstone, now Camp Nukawai. They started a Bible study which grew into a small fellowship that met in our church building. And then in 2008, disaster struck. Due to the sinful behavior of one of the indigenous leaders of that fellowship, that fellowship shrunk from 30 attendees to three overnight. And since then, there have been little signs of hope and grace, but a ton of hard work and tears. One of the signs of hope and grace is camp going to three weeks this summer, is what you said, so a little bit of growth there. And the fact that Dan has the privilege next month, July, of ordaining a Blackfoot gentleman to the ministry in Brockett. But the work has been slow and difficult. For those of you who have talked to Dan about the work, he rarely talks about it without tears. Are Dan and Barb fools? Or are they heroes? Was Paul right? Was the Tyrian church right? Who heard God's voice correctly? What about Dan and Barb? Did, did the Spirit truly lead them to lead, leave successful ministry up north to difficult ministry here in southern Alberta with very little to show for it? What about you? How can you know you're hearing the Spirit's voice? And the reality is that you rarely know 100%. You must sometimes just make the best judgment that you can. Because when it comes to hearing God's voice, aptitude, ability, is secondary to attitude. We often risk looking like fools as we follow as best we can the Spirit's leading. Dan, in his email to me describing his story, said it right. It is our faithfulness to the task of his calling that is important. The results are in his stable hands. You see, in Jesus' view, the heroes are those who risk being seen as fools in their faithfulness to Jesus and the Spirit. Or as Jim Elliot, one of the five who died trying to reach the Rani people in Ecuador, famously put it, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we have the privilege of calling you Father. That you have adopted us by your Spirit into your family and your Spirit testifies with our Spirit to affirm that we are your children. And we recognize that, that while you regularly and mostly just want to communicate your love and grace and delight and favor to us, that sometimes as Father, you need to direct us and correct us. And when you do, give us an attitude of humility to receive and yield to your voice, even when what you call us to looks foolish and dangerous. Help us to trust you so deeply that we will let go of those things that we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.